And that's why I call it Beware of Apostasy. So here they're supposed to be preparing to go into the promised land and the will of God. But when they were presented with truth, it didn't take long for them to veer off and uh, make up their own truth. And that happens a lot today. And we, we have apostasy all around us. Uh, it counterfeits itself. Uh, they use the same terminology, and uh, yet it is not right. And so uh, chapter 32, and I'm just going to read the first uh, six verses here, and then we'll get into our worksheet. Good to have Danielle back, by the way, and I hope your vacation was good. He's got the flu now? Well, that's what happens after you come home from <laughs> Amen. Well, at least he made it back safe. That's wonderful. Great to have you here. All right, so Exodus chapter 32, it says in verse number 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for Moses, uh, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D, by the way. And then it says, And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And so what an interesting passage. Here we have a mix of totally bad and totally good. Some good things that God said to do. Oh, we're going to do these things. But they mixed it with totally bad stuff. And uh, so that was not a good move on their part. And so what we really have here is an illustration of apostasy and I think it's important that we, we, uh, we were careful to identify what apostasy looks like. And I think sometimes, I think now, or the age we live in right now, see for me, in the 90s, when I was kind of just getting saved, I was you know, getting on fire for the Lord, there, there wasn't much to compare to the way it is now. But here I have, and it's been strange to me because with this church especially, I've had people that are in their 60s, uh, late 50s, that are, are really pushing this contemporary Christian music, the whole, the rock stuff. And I'm thinking, like, like, where were you, you know, at your age? Why are you pushing this? But there's a group of people that I think when, when they tried to use that music to bring the young people back, that was really what it was all about in the 90s. I remember going door to door, talking to church leaders of different denominations, and they said, yeah, we're going to bring that stuff in because none of it was there. Our whole community, we had none of that stuff. But it was during that short while that, you know, I started hearing these guys and they were saying, yeah, we need to get our young people back. And, and I well, the first thing I told them, that that's not how you do it. You don't use music to get the young people back. You use the preaching of the word of God. You use passion of the, of the scripture, the truth. And that's where their first mistake was. And so that, no matter what they tell you today, that's where this all came from. That's why, we're, that's why they're doing this in churches today because of their wanting to get, the, you know, they were losing the young people because there was no fire in the pulpit, there was no passion for truth, and instead of getting preachers that are on fire for God, 
they would rather get a rock band, something they could associate with. And so they thought mixing the two was a good idea. And of course, it didn't take long. That mix didn't work too well. And all of a sudden, the old was getting ousted, and the older people that wouldn't give themselves to this new worship would basically be ousted out of the church. If you don't like it, I guess you got to leave. They tried at first to have one, one service of this and one service of that, and uh, that was common. But nowadays, it's like people think this is the way it's always been. It's not the way it's always been. And for a guy like me that got saved in the, you know, before this all began, and even watching the infomercials on, on TV late at night where they're talking, where they're trying to push contemporary rock music, uh, Christian rock music, and the reasons why, and I hear some of those same arguments. I remember when I was young, and I know I'm not even starting my message yet, but <laughs> when I just got saved, um, they, they, I was watching these infomercials, and the reason that they were saying that some people are against Christian rock is they've had a bad trip with rock and roll. And, you know, folks, I was in a rock and roll band. I mean, I played rock and roll. I, I mean, it, it, it is a bad trip because it's of Satan, but I'll tell you something, my flesh still loved it, so I didn't quite get what they're trying to say. But it's interesting, right here, uh, when I came to this community and I started meeting some of these older people, like 60 years old, that were actually touting this music here and coming into our church and saying, hey, you guys should let this stuff in. And the first thing I'd say, is, well, if we did, then we would just be like the church you came from that you don't want to go to anymore. <laughs> I says, the reason why you're coming here is we're different, and we're different because we don't do that garbage. You know, we have passion for truth is number one. And, um, but one of the things this person sent me an email and said, oh, you, you just had a bad trip with, with rock music. Same argument. That's 20-some years removed from the beginning. The same arguments, the same motivation, uh, except now they say it's, it's God, it's, it's a, an experience. Folks, I don't believe it for a second. It is not. I don't believe it. I believe it's an emotional experience that is counterfeiting a spiritual experience. Spiritual experience you don't need music for, but music is good. But, you know, the music will be an outflow of what's already there. It doesn't produce what's there. Amen? That means if you don't already have a spiritual life, those songs aren't going to really make you spiritual. But if you're already in love with the scriptures and and you love the truth, when you hear the songs, it will be an outflow of that spiritual passion that you have. And that's important, you know. And so anyways, let's move on here. We'll talk a little more about that as we go along here. But letter A, the first point is Israel defected from the truth. They had the truth. I know Moses is now up on the mountain for 40 days. He's getting that, the tablets written by the finger of God. But that doesn't mean they didn't have the truth. We know from prior trips up the mountain and coming back, he already had the whole law written down in a book. He had already recited it to all the people. In fact, God himself recited it when he talked to them verbally. And that's when they said, yes, all that you have said, we will do. Now Moses was just going back up to get, get the hard copy. Amen? That's what was happening here. So they knew exactly what the truth was. And some of the first commandments that they were given was, Thou shalt not make any other God. And what do they do? And in in, in, you know, right, the first thing is they make another God. And so they are, they are turning from the truth. So number one, Israel possessed the truth given by God and chose to turn from it. 
They turned from it. And that passage is back there in Exodus 24. And Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord hath said we will do. And Moses wrote, all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. They had a covenant, they had 12 pillars, they had the altar, they had all the words, they had the book, they had the promise, they had the commitment. But when it came down to it, let's make a new God. My goodness, man, that's apostasy. It's knowing the truth and knowingly turning from it. Now, um, in order to defect from the truth, you must already have it. All right? So somebody has never had the truth, you don't call them apostate, even though they're way off the mark. You just say they're lost. They don't have the truth. But those that once had the truth and then they turned from it, that is called apostasy. Number two, it says apostasy is transliterated from the Greek word uh, apostasia, which is defined as defection from truth, properly the state apostasy, falling away or forsaken. That's the Strong's Dictionary. So this Greek word is translated as falling away in the New Testament. Falling away. And so we see verses like 2 Thessalonians 2.3. It says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, and that's talking about the tribulation, that day shall not come except they're coming a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So one of the first things that takes place before the day of the Lord is the Antichrist comes into play because he's going to make that covenant with Israel and then also there's going to be a falling away that's going to happen before that where people are going to turn away from the truth. And I hear people all the time and usually people that are involved in doctrines like kingdom theology, where they believe that they're sent on earth now as a church to build this kingdom. Uh, it, we're not bringing in any kingdom. Like, what's going to happen is we are going to become less and less. Churches will become smaller and smaller. And the ones that stay faithful uh, will be blessed of the Lord. But we're not going to, you know, there could be a revival somewhere. That's great. I hope it happens. But as far as expecting revival before the tribulation, there's no such thing in the scripture that says that. Even though I'm not against revival and I think, sure, God could send one, I'd love one to happen right here and we'd have a resurgence of Christians getting right with God. And I think somewhat, there is somewhat of revival in some people's lives here, amen? And that's what it is. It's always private, it's always personal. It's not like the Holy Spirit just grabs you when you don't want to get right, <laughs> you know? It, it, it's, it's following what you're desiring in your heart. And so 2 Timothy 4.1 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I don't know why I put that in there. But Hebrews 12.25 says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So there's our comparison here. They're just listening to Moses right now. But folks, we've got this book that we know are the words of Christ in our hand. Like what kind of person would we be to turn away from the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, that, that's a pretty sad state to be in. But we're doing that all over the place today. All right. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 4 says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 
So someone's turning these people. That's why I tell people, be careful about the internet. It sounds great. They got all the things that look so good. And hey, this looks like it's truth. And you're piping this stuff off, yet you, you yourself have not studied the scriptures. You have not spent enough time to know the whole uh, scope of scripture. And you know, you know little bits in here. Well, this verse says this. Well, yeah, but what book is that verse in? What chapter is that verse in? Who is it spoken to? Who wrote it? Why was it written? There's all kinds of questions that you have to ask yourself before you just throw out your opinion on what you think a verse says. Amen? Uh, that's what's called uh, being in context with Scripture. Uh, there's several different kinds of context. There's immediate, there's broad, there's several, there's like four or five different contexts that you look at. There's a book context, okay, I've got to go know the whole book. So this, he's saying this in this book of Exodus, what is the context of that statement within the book of Exodus? And then you narrow it down. What about in the situation that they're in? What about according to the doctrine that we already know is revealed? And so all these things have to be played out, and you have to know these things. That's called rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? And, but what, what they really get you at, you'll have somebody come to you, and that's why when people call me and they try to be all witty and throw a little verse at me, I just I'm not talking to you. Because there's no way you're going to be talking to me about, about the Scriptures. You're trying to point your little, your little phrase and make it sound what you want it to be, and if I don't agree with it, then I'm wrong and I'm such a heretic. Well, no, you've got to be better than that, <laughs> you know, if you're going to convince me, you know, do a better study than that. But anyways, letter B, Israel decided not to wait on God. And so basically the phrase there is Moses delayed. There was a delay that took place. A mark of those that are becoming apostate is that they do, they do not wait on God, but manipulate their own result. Now, in the 90s, how are we going to get our young people back? Right? Manipulate the result. What they should have gone is gone on their face before God. So, Lord, what do I do? What do we do about this? There should have been an internal revival that, uh, with a heart for their children, not just to get them into the church, but maybe to get them right. Because you can get them in the church, but if you're going to make your church wrong, then all they're going to do is come in and be wrong with you. You know, that doesn't matter. And so, this proves the validity of their profession of faith. If we say we believe Him. We will wait on his word coming to pass and only do those things he commands us to do. Because what will happen is many times the Lord is going to bring you right to the finish line. He's never, he's, he's never late. He's never early. They say he's always on time, but he's not on your schedule. You know, and, and what he does is he waits until he knows it's a faith thing for you. Until he knows that he can get glory from it. And so many times before the time, we will manipulate, we will make something happen, uh, you know, before we know really what God wants for us. And that's where we've got to learn just to wait on the Lord. And that was one of the first steps that they made wrong here that revealed that their hearts weren't right. They weren't waiting on God, <laughs> you know, all agitated, anxious, fearful. You know, when you got stuff like that motivating you, your emotions now are calling the shots. And the emotional life will always lead you into apostasy. Hebrews 10.35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Amen. 
So what we do is we have a tendency to draw back. When it's not a, according to our plan, our timetable, well then, well no, you just keep going. You just keep, put, put your shoulder to it and you just keep doing what God's asked you to do. And if you don't know what to do, don't do anything. You'd be better off doing nothing than doing something that God didn't ask you to do. That's why the Bible says in Romans 14 that we're damned if we doubt. It says, if you have faith, keep it to thyself. That means if you can eat the, the meat offered to idols, and if that's good for you and you don't mind that, then keep it at home and shut your mouth. But if you're trying to tell everybody, I can do this, I can do this, and you're causing weak brothers to stumble because of that. But if you don't know what the right thing is, it says then you can't do it because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So even if it's okay for me to do it and I don't have the faith to do it, it's still sin. Because I'm saying to God, it really doesn't matter what you think about this, I'm just going to come up to my own conclusion here. (laughs) Whether it's right or wrong, and sure it could be right, but I don't know if it's right with God, and I do it anyways. He's saying, you're going to do it anyways, even though you don't know I'm for this. It's kind of like a child in your home doing something, never ask dad, mom and dad for permission. Right? (laughs) And so that's important for us to understand here. And so apostasy has that kind of mindset. And we've got to be careful. Number one, God's proving revealed Israel's unbelieving hearts. And so in verse chapter 24, 18, it says, And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And, the, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, chapter 20, verse 20 says, And Moses said unto people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, that ye may fear that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. So he says, God has come here to test you, to try you. So that's one thing you just nail down here, that God has come into your life to test you. So if you're going through something, it's a test. If it's not according to your schedule, it's a test. If you're tempted to do something you know that you may not, should do, that's a test. And if you keep that in your mind, that God is proving you, you say, hey, well, then I want to pass this test, (laughs) amen, instead of giving in all the time. And so, um, let's see here. Even Jesus, Mark 1, 13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan and was with a wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. So Jesus was tested to prove that he was the Son of God. That's the whole purpose for the wilderness temptations there. So 40 days, number of testing, that's what I say. Like, if you ever want to make it through something, you've got to give at least 40 days, you know. Give yourself enough time to work through. Marriages quit because I can't wait 40 days. Uh, you know, we quit church because I can't wait 40 days. We're just quitting on God before the time because it's just too delayed for me. It's just not, a, you know, we've got to get on this. We've got to fix this now. Folks, there's something you learn in ministry that there's nothing about fixing anything right now. You know, I look at something, man, and it's years later, finally say, okay, now we can do something about it. It's waiting on God. Even this whole building thing, I'm saying, Lord, I was started a month ago, but it just seemed like the Lord didn't give peace to pull that trigger on that thing, you know? And so, well, you, you just got to learn patience and trust that he's going to work with the time that you have and make it more profitable than it would have been if you would have taken it a month earlier. Amen. You just got to trust that kind of thing. So he's proving, he's testing you all the time. Uh, The knowing this, the trying of your faith, worketh patience. Let's move on here. You know, here's a good passage. I don't want to skip this one. 
1 John 2, 18 to 20, it says, Little children, it is the last time you have heard that Antichrist shall come, and even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And so John's already saying it's the last time. It's the last time now, obviously. Then he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Think about that just right there. Just what God told us there. That goes against everything that we want to do as pastors. We want to go lasso them, bring them in, keep them in, tie them up, you know. When in all reality, the Bible is saying, if they're going to take off from you and leave you, all it's doing is manifesting the fact that they were not of you. Amen? I've had people come in. I thought, boy, this would be a good church family to bring in. And also I started hearing these little doctrinal problems that they had. I remember I preached on this passage one time, and I had someone come to me after the message in the hallway, one of the, the wife of the guy, and she started nailing me on the Jews and this and that. And I had never even, I just, I just said, you know, I don't really want to talk about this right now. <laughs> it's right after the service. But that's the last time she came. And you know what? I didn't go and chase after him. I left him. I just said, you know, they were tied to Anderson, Steve Anderson. And I just said, no, I'm not going to bring that back in. Obviously, the Lord is taking people out from us so that may be manifest. So, folks, you got to be smart now, okay? Now, this is where we as sheep can be dumb because we think that if someone leaves, we can still go fellowship with them. Well, the Bible says us is talking about the church. Every one of us is a member of the body of Christ. So if you were to go and fellowship with people that reject the body itself, you're sinning against the Lord. Think about that. They went out from us because they were not of us. And yet you say, but who's us? Oh, that's just pastor. No, I'm just one person, <laughs> you know. Us is all of you. They went out of us. You know what the devil's trying to do? He's trying to make it against you against the pastor. When it's not that at all. It's you against the body of Christ. And when somebody in the body of Christ will begin to fellowship with someone that has already proved that they were not of us, you're saying, oh, well, that's their fault, not mine. And you're separating yourself and you're manifesting yourself. You see, and it won't be long. You keep that fellowship up and fellowship up, and you're going to be the one that went out from us. Amen? Because of the poison. So, folks, we've got to be smarter than this. If God gives us verses like this, he's telling us that this aspect of going out from us as a local church, they're leaving you too. And why would you want to go and spend time with people that, that forsake the people of God? Now, I know this is hard to hear, isn't it? To me, it makes sense. <laughs> Maybe not to you. But you know what I'm talking about here? Why would you do that? <laughs> Why? Because the scripture blatantly teaches against that. But you know, we're too smart for God. We are already, we don't have the patience to wait with Moses delayed. You know, many times we even have a church discipline issue sometimes. And you know what some people think? Well, I'll go try to win them. Hey, folks, if we've already dealt with it as a body, that's the last straw. Now, for you to say, I'm going to go do it after the body of Christ could not do it, is for you to be very proud, <laughs> you know. I'll do this without the scriptural backing 
because those that did it with the scriptural backing were unsuccessful. Think about that for a second. I know that's kind of meaty stuff, you know, and it's not, not very savory, is it? But you know, it's, it's real, and it's stuff that God's people has to think about. We have to start thinking like that. You know, because I think many times people think when people leave the church, they're leaving me. No, sir. <laughs> they're leaving you. They're leaving you. Amen? So then why do you think that you go and <laughs> on your own and developing friendships and fellowshipping somehow is okay with the Lord when he already told you this? Amen? Because you've lost your identity this way. You're, you're in the body of Christ. You're a, you're a member of his body. Amen? Are you guys okay? <laughs> you seem very shocked or maybe just tired, not understanding it. I don't know. Amen? All right, anyways. <laughs> but let's go on. Number two, they turned aside quickly. Exodus 32, 8. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You know what the interesting thing is, is that they, even Aaron said, this is the Lord. This is Jehovah. So they gave it the same name as God himself. And so what's the big deal? We've got sacrifices, we've got peace offerings, we've got burned offerings, we've got an altar, we've got a God called Jehovah. All we did was just make a little golden statue to represent God. Right? Well, the problem is God told you not to do that. Well, you say, I don't understand why. That's not for you to understand. There is a reason why. <laughs> but even if you didn't understand it, you just shouldn't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and I think the main reason is, is because Jesus Christ is the image of God. So what you're doing is you're exchanging Jesus Christ for that calf, for that cow, for that pig, for that rat, for that whatever you're worshiping. And you're going to become what you worship. So you'll become like the cow. You'll become, that's the kind of morals you're going to take on in your life. And we saw that very quickly here. That's exactly what took place. And so let's move quickly here. Let us see. Israel desired to fulfill their lust. And that's why it says in verse 1 of 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of their mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and they said unto, unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. It's just us, us, us. It's about me. You know, we, we need someone, you know, we're, we're desiring this. You know, the desires, personal desires can be such a detriment to the, to the Christian life. They were to worship the Lord his way, not their way. The flesh wants to do things its own way. This is why people get bent out of shape today. <clears throat> they have no real fear for God unless he is shaking a mountain. Amen. But when the mountain stops shaking, I don't, I'm not afraid anymore. I just don't know why they didn't remember that shaking mountain this day. They could have just remembered that voice. And that's why God appeared to them that way, to show them how great and magnificent and powerful he really is. And yet how quickly they forgot, you know. And so, um, let's see here. 1 Corinthians 10, 6, it says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So we know that's not a positive thing. <laughs> it's a negative thing. 
So letter D, Israel demanded worldly leadership. Notice the first thing they did is try to find a leader that would give them what they want. That's what they did here. Leadership reflected their fleshly desires instead of directing their hearts to the Lord. And that's what Aaron really messed up here. Uh, They gathered themselves together unto Aaron. They didn't want godly direction from Aaron. They wanted Aaron to reflect back to them what they wanted. And unfortunately, Aaron did that. In 2 Timothy 4, it says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So he's talking to preachers. He's saying, just preach what the Bible says, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. You need to reprove them, that's expose the error. You need to rebuke them. When you know there's sin going on, you need to say, stop this wickedness in the house of God. I know that's not popular, and most churches don't do that today. We might as well cut that out of that passage right there. Amen? But I like the exhorting part. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. <laughs> so exhorting is prodding, and people don't like that either, actually. <laughs> it's like getting a cattle prod and going up behind you and saying, hey, you've got to do something for God here. Get right. Get this thing settled, whatever it is. And, but it says, with all long-suffering and doctrine. So basically the preacher is supposed to suffer long with, with stubborn sheep, and they are also supposed to do it using doctrine of the Word of God. That's it, you know? And that's our, that's our admonition from God. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So what's going to happen? When the people in the church come to me, and I just had a, heard of a preacher that he had some people come to them and he wanted them all to, he, they, wanted, they wanted him to drop the standards of the church because they don't like those standards. And so they got together and they asked this preacher to drop the standards. Well, that's what's going on all around us. That's why preachers are in a Hawaii shorts and shirts up on the front and there's no respect for the word of God nor, nor as a preacher of the word of God. That's all pressure. That's all giving into people's lusts and desires. You know, they like saying, oh, you don't have to worry about what you dress here. And folks, and this is what I tell people. I had a situation, I think it was uh, on Sunday, where someone had a new suit on. I said, boy, I love that suit. I said, that looks great on you. I like it, you know. And, uh, but I didn't want anybody to think that, you know, if you don't wear a suit, I don't like you, you know. And so I said, you know, even when you didn't have a suit, you know, just, you always just wear your best. But now you got a suit, I like that. You know, and so you, you do your best. You just do your best. That's all. And whether all you, your best is just the best shirt you got and the best pants you got, well, praise God. That's the best you got. Come in that manner. But never are we going to just say it doesn't matter. It does matter. Because your mentality about how you present yourself before the Lord and the people of God has a lot to do with it. Now we've got girls coming in miniskirts in the church and they don't care. Their they're, they're clothes down here are down to here and they're showing all kinds of stuff that guys ought not see. And that's wicked. But no preachers are saying that. They don't want to tell people that. <laughs> You're going to probably hear from me and that's it. You know? But we have to because we, we've got, we cannot buy into the fleshly desires of people. That's worldly leadership. And the time will come, they will not endure it. You say, oh, well, I had someone tell me one time, well, 
Oh, well, modesty isn't the doctrine of the Bible. I said, oh, absolutely it is. I could take you from Genesis to Revelation. I can show you modesty, godly dress. I can show you how that your dress reflects what you are from Scripture. Got some sermons on it, you know, on sermon audio. And so it is a doctrine. And so they, they want you, they don't want that though. They, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so Aaron gave in, whoops, almost closed that. Aaron gave in to the pressures of Israel. And that's where the apostle Paul says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So if I made pleasing you my goal, then I can no longer serve God. Or am I trying to persuade God now? Now you come to me and tell me, and I'm going to say, God, yeah, you know, why are we being so sticky about these things? <laughs> you know? No, we're just taking what God says, and we're preaching it to people. And some will like it, some won't. Some will get mad, they'll walk out, they'll reveal they're not of us. They, they, they aren't willing to make that little sacrifice for the Lord's work. I mean, my goodness, they're not willing to do that. Then whatever are they going to do for God? And they will find a church that teaches exactly what they want. I hope that's not in your heart. Unless what you want is the whole counsel of God, you know. <laughs> that's a good thing. So letter E. Israel degraded to being sensual rather than delighting to be spiritual. And that's what happened here. He said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery in verse 18. Neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome. He heard this noise in the camp as Moses and Joshua were coming down. He says, it sounds like a war, but not necessarily. But then it's, as he got closer, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. Wow. So the first problem was music, number one. Music. You want to know why churches are apostate? You want to know what's making them apostate? Their music. You'll know the apostasy by the music. You know? When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said, there's a noise of war in the camp. Sounds like war. Like, what kind of good godly saying sounds like war, you know? The Bible says, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So what I'm thinking here, they made far more of the rhythm than anything else. So when you talk about war, they probably had a beat going, some kind of heavy beat that was going on like they would do with worship in Africa or something like that. And it was enough to cause them to dance. So that was the, that's what you saw them do. <laughs> the dancing is an effect of the rhythm. You know, I've seen people try to dance to hymns, but it's sure easy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially the way they want to dance. We had it happen here once. They didn't stick around too long. <laughs> oh, my but, you know, hey, I'm willing to put up with anything if people are just growing. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll work with it. <laughs> oh, it was noise at a distance. Like most modern music is as well. I was watching today a video clip of, uh, of a college group that was playing in a church, and it was just heavy rock. 
So this college was promoting the college using this music. And they were all in robes for some reason, but the music was just rock. And I was trying to even listen in the music for the melody, but there was nothing. It was just, you know, and he was singing and yelling and so forth. And they was, you know, they could even sing in harmony. But you know what? At a distance, that would sound like the noise of war. That's not godly. But that's what's happening today. And people are just saying, oh, I'm so blessed of God today. Oh, the Lord God. The Lord's in this. They looked at that calf and said, oh, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah. Look, he's right here in front of us. God, God, God. And he was nowhere near that thing. Nowhere near it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, so spiritual songs are a result of being spirit-filled. Spiritual songs are a result of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In all wisdom means in all practical application. So let the word of Christ dwell in you, but not just verses that I've memorized, but in all wisdom, in all practicality, I've applied this to my life. That's God's purpose. And when people do that, that's when we teach one another using psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you see. But we're not wanting to be practically biblical. Uh, Usually our music shows it. The second problem is dancing. We already talked about that. Many Christians try to defend their dancing by saying David danced. But David did not dance like these people were dancing around that calf. I'll tell you that right now. And probably not dancing like a lot of people in churches today dance, you know. And when you're talking about David dancing, have you ever seen Jewish dancing? (laughs) I saw this one video clip once where, where two or three Jewish men just met in the middle of the street and they were just happy and they grabbed each other's hands. They started doing that circle thing. And as they were doing this, more people just started coming and finally they had like 20, 30 men jumping up and down, holding each other's hands, going in a circle, dancing, expressing their joy. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But that surely isn't what's happening in churches today. Dancing to David was a straight jumping up and down rejoicing, you know, but it wasn't vibrating the body and and swaying the body and all kinds of things like that, all right? So if you are listening to sensual music, you will also respond in a sensual manner. And so much of the Christian rock music today or even contemporary Christian, if they call it soft, whatever it is, is very sensual. So it causes people to have more of a sway than anything because it's not going to the mind, it's going to the body and the emotions, you know, there's nothing. I remember one time, me and my pastor, we sat down, we were listening. We said, okay, let's listen to this song. Let's see what it does for us. And so I just sat there, and I, I noticed immediately how it tried to just stir my emotions. But by the end of the song, I didn't know what they were saying. I had no idea about the message of what really they were trying to teach me, <laughs> you know. But I already had an emotional experience with no message. And that's what they're aiming at today. Because you can have an emotional experience without a message. There's instrumental music can affect your emotions, you know. And number three is immodesty. And Moses saw that the people were naked, it says in verse 25. So what in the world is this all about? Here, God just gave us his commands, and now we're running around naked dancing and listening to bad music, you know. But it's amazing. These three things are marks of apostasy. 
Think about that for a second. Your music, dancing, and your immodesty. I remember we had this young girl when we were out at a hotel one time, and I just had one of my boys by the hand in the waiting pool. I was just kind of walking him around there, and Madeline was there, and there was a young girl sitting on a chair by a table, and she was fully clothed in this humid (laughs) pool area. I thought, okay, that's interesting. But I could hear her say to her parents, see, if you bought me a swimsuit like that, I'd go swimming too. Speaking about Madeline's swimsuit. See, because the parents wanted her to wear this, you know, revealing thing. And you know what? Girls don't want to do that automatically. But they're trained. They're trained by the parents. That it's okay. You're actually, you're actually numbing their conscience to revealing their body. Because we got this idea that somehow swimwear is okay revealing the curves and revealing the flesh and the nakedness. And I'm sorry, it's not. There's never an excuse. (laughs) If our boys go swimming, they wear shorts down to the knee, they wear a swim shirt. And not tight. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's the same way it ought to be with girls. And if we're not going to teach our kids, then nothing's going to change. We're just going to simply lead them to be the same immodest way that our last generations have been. And some people are okay with that. I'm not. I'm not. So I have to, in everything we do for the church, I make sure we're not going anywhere that's going to be immodest. All these kind of things you got to think about. You know? Remember one time there's a laser tag thing. I was going to bring 100 singles to this laser tag thing, and I went and talked to the owner. I says, everything's great here. I says, but the thing is, that heavy metal music that plays during the laser tag, he says, I, I don't want that on. He says, oh, if I take that we've never done that before. If we take that off, then it won't even be fun. I says, I'm willing to gamble that. <laughs> he says, I don't even know if I can do it. I says, try. <laughs> and he did. And he was able to pull all the music out of there. And I never had one of our young people say, oh, that wasn't fun because I needed heavy metal music blasting in my ear. They had a great time without the heavy metal music. Heavy metal music is demonic, by the way. Demons use the music. Don't let it in your home. Don't let it in your vehicles. Don't let it anywhere near you. It is wicked and ungodly, and Satan uses it as a main vehicle to get into our young people's lives. I had a friend that was so involved, he became demonically possessed because of heavy metal music. And by the way, when they start cursing all the time, that's a sign of demonic activity in their life. Nobody just automatically curses in their language all the time. That is because something has infiltrated their heart and Satan always curses. And you know, the thing is, I was even looking at this disease that's out there right now that they call the Tourette's and so forth. And somehow Tourette's, they, they just have to swear and say filthy language. I'm sorry, I know there's more behind Tourette's than simply a medical issue. And they need spiritual help. Because nothing will just make you curse except for Satan himself. It's satanic. So if you find a tendency to curse all the time, there's probably something in your heart that Satan has a piece of you, and you've got to deal with it. And Christians, you can, be, you can be oppressed by Satan in such a way where you will battle cursing. Amen? 
And I'm not just kidding here. This is real stuff. You know, I've gone through experiences in my life. I know how music, I know how this stuff works. I know the impact it has. I'm not fooling around. I'm not just trying to get, you know, make, you know give you something. Ooh, wow, isn't that neat? Uh, I really am concerned for Christians because they, they listen to this garbage and they think somehow they're not going to be touched by it. You will. Because you've already given ground just by allowing it in. Amen. Turn it off. <laughs> get it out of there. Whatever you got to do, get rid of it. Amen. But God is very concerned about our modesty. Um, today, people call preaching on modesty legalism. So now if I tell people a biblical doctrine of modesty, I'm somehow a legalist. Well, folks, I'm not saying being modest is going to get you to heaven. <laughs> it won't. You know, it doesn't matter how modest you are, you're still going to go to hell if you don't receive Christ. But all I know is this, if you're a true Christian and you have it in your heart to exemplify God's graces and the glory of God in your life, you will do whatever you've got to do to make sure you portray yourself as a true child of God. And it will not be what the world looks like. And we're far too much like that. Far too much. Fashion, fashion, fashion. I'll tell you something. You could be more fashionable being (laughs) modest than a lot of these people are being fashionable being immodest. I'll tell you that right now. God in Exodus 28, 42 says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even to the thighs they shall reach. So God himself said, I don't want the priest to climb up the steps of the altar and I don't want to have to see their nakedness from this point here up till their hips. So I want them to have linen breeches all the way down to the knees. And that's why we use that for our swimwear and so forth and all of that because that's what God wants, then obviously that's what he wants us to do. Amen? So you can argue with him, but one day you'll have to meet him and explain why you don't listen. That's apostasy. Knowing the truth and willingly turning away from it. Amen? Another verse is in 1 Timothy 2.9. It says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, it's not saying you can't have gold or pearls or even put on costly array. But what it's saying is that, that you not have, ought to have this bold perce- like, uh, expression of yourself where you're trying to advertise yourself. Amen? The Bible says you've got to adorn themselves in modest that means well-arranged. It's the word cosmos. It's how the whole universe was made. Everything in its proper place. If it would be one, uh, you know, one foot out, there'd be real problems for us today. If one of these planets would just say, I'm going to go move over there for a while, Earth would cease to exist. It means to have everything in order, in proper fashion. Then it says apparel. The word apparel comes from the word catastola. A stola was a garment that was let down. It was just simply a robe they would put on and put a hole for their neck and they they put it on and they drape it down. It always talks about being flowing down. So ladies, God's not wanting you to be tightening up. He's wanting you to loosen down. (laughs) Amen. You get that. The clothes you put on ought to be looser. (laughs) That's what it means. It's interesting, a form of that word is the same word that Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, when he's talking to the churches, I have somewhat against thee. I have somewhat against thee. 
It's kind of like saying, you've let me down. <laughs> you've let me down. See, folks, you say, well, I don't believe it. Well, then don't believe it. But you are knowingly turning away from the truth. Well, that was in the Bible day. Well, that was in the Bible day. That was in um, a thousand years before Jesus, a couple thousand before that. Uh, Sarah adorned herself modestly. I mean, it's been thousands of years. Women knew what modesty was until somehow the 19th century. All of a sudden, we know we need to change all of this, you know. And that's what's gone on. That's why the apostasy is the falling away in the last days, you see. And so we got to be very careful how you dress. All right, I don't want to go further than that. I'll get myself in trouble. All right, 8 o'clock. Um, what have I got left here? Yeah, let's just stop it right there. Let's bow our heads. But if we're truly going to do the will of God and desire to do the will of God for our lives, we have to learn the lessons from Exodus. And one of the lessons he taught us is that it's easy when God delays or God doesn't give you what you think you need or, or, or for whatever reason, somehow I'm turning away from what I know to be the right thing to do. And that's a spirit of apostasy. And in order for us to fight that, we have to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm just going to do what the Bible says. I'm just going to follow what the Scripture says. And I know the world will say, hey, you're just some religious fuddy-duddy. But I'll tell you something, I'd rather have the world call me that than the Lord look at me and say, what are you trying to do? Because there were consequences that Israel had to face. 